From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, Brent Webb, a development executive at Mortensen, talks to FNC reporter J.D. Duggan. Webb talks about creating buildings in Rochester, Minnesota, with the mindset that what they create there could help researchers on their path to save lives. All right. Today we have uh, Brent Webb, development executive at Mortensen. He has historically been in charge of moving the company's projects ahead in Minnesota and the Dakotas and Iowa. Um, he's helped shape the downtown Minneapolis landscape and is also actively involved in downtown Rochester. Uh, hey, Brent, thanks for being here. Good afternoon. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. Um, tell me a bit about your role. Sure. So I, I feel very fortunate. I've been working at Mortensen now for six years. Um, actually got recruited to Mortensen to help support um, a lot of their projects. A lot of my time ended up being spent in Rochester with Mayo Clinic when they were launching that. It's essentially the largest public-private partnership in Minnesota's history, Destination Medical Center, mm-hmm. and the research development opportunities. Um, there are indeed facilities on their campus, Discovery Square, um, as well as all the other stuff that we were working on, specifically in the Twin Cities market. So um, multifamily tower behind Certix, a medical office building in Hastings, an industrial project in Blaine. and so been very active in the Twin Cities market, um, not only at Mortensen, but you know, at the previous firms that I worked at as well. Yeah. Um, let's step back in time a little bit. How did you get in, into this line of work? Uh, that's a good question, because um, I know not even a lot of people know what developers actually do. But, um, you know, I actually went to school in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Madison is actually really well known for having one of the most prolific real estate development programs in the country. I did not go through that program. <laughs> I'm a psych major that had a lot of friends that went through the program and actually reconnected with a college buddy um, shortly after moving to the Twin Cities. Um, who recruited me to Greco Development. So I had the fortunate opportunity to work with a company that was, you know, maybe 20 employees at the time. And they were working on six developments in Uptown as well as the North Loop. So right out of the gates, I got to be able to be involved with Flux in Uptown, Lime in Uptown, Loosely Blue Apartments in Uptown. And then I also worked on View Apartments in Loring Park and also worked on Elsewhere House where Bro and Parlor is in the North Loop too. So been pretty active on the multifamily space when I first started my career. Definitely. Those are some pretty iconic buildings in Uptown too. Yeah. Um, so any going from Uptown to Downtown, any Google search of you talks about your impact on Downtown Minneapolis. Um, how, do you, how do you see Downtown's landscape changing in the coming years compared to maybe where it was five years ago? You know, one of the things about being a developer is you have to be optimistic. And I know that you know, the Twin Cities in general has had a challenging time. But, um, you know, I believe in the commitment that a lot of people have to the Twin Cities target all the, you know, institutions. Um, and I also think the fact that, you know, you have other developers that are very committed to the success of downtown 
um, thinking about the prior firm that I worked at, Sherman Associates, that's been doing a lot of projects in the downtown market. Um, even United Properties with the Four Seasons, that's been done too as well. I think, you know, long term, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in downtown, whether it's multifamily um, or even retail. I'm thinking about what's happening in the North Loop right now. The retail in the North Loop is just on fire if you can find parking and enjoy it. But still, it's it's a great location, um, and I think that success is going to continue in the downtown market. Yeah, for sure. What do you think? What opportunities exist? That are unique to downtown Minneapolis compared to other central business districts? Um, well, if you want to directly compare to maybe like a St. Paul, I still think multifamily is going to be really strong um, in the downtown market. Uh, I do, again, speaking to retail, especially if you're thinking about specifically maybe like a North Loop, that's going to continue to be strong. Um, and I do think, you know, there's going to be continued, you know, growth specifically for multifamily where. I mean, COVID obviously had an impact on all the markets, but we we still have not kept up with the actual demand for housing. Um, one thing that I hope continues to change, especially from my experience at Sherman, is that there's continued affordable housing options downtown as well as um, workforce housing. I mean, I kind of have a unique way of defining what affordable is versus workforce. And maybe one way of saying workforce is it's, you know, people that make just enough, like over the 60% AMI, maybe they're making 80 to 90%, but there's actually not housing available for them that's typically been naturally occurring, but it's a huge demand and need for downtown, not just the market rate housing as well. Definitely. And um, now you're you're even more involved in downtown Rochester. How has your work in Minneapolis informed the work in creating some of these four places in downtown Rochester? I think it's like a lot of things with real estate. There's a convergence of things. I mean, the whole idea for Destination Medical Center is work, live, play. Um, and just my background doing um, housing, some hospitality, um, and some office. Um, the facilities that we're doing there is really focused on research and development. And how do you spur you know, connections in the facilities that we have? So there is a retail component. You know, there's there is an amenity component, but those are all meant to support connections from these people that are doing research and creating new technology therapies for patients. So if anything, I think a lot of the things I've taken away are like the bits and pieces that have, you know, created spaces. Um, Because I feel like what's unique about the work that we're doing is we're doing a lot of placemaking, not just delivering a highly advanced technical facility to help do research and development. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about that. Like, what's, um, what do you think is exciting right now in the world of development and placemaking? How do you see these ideas changing over the years? Um, I think it's going to depend on the asset class. I think specifically for the stuff that we're working on in Rochester, I think a big takeaway is that you're, we're not just building a building. Um, so the facilities that we have there, they have that retail component, like I said. But when I say research and development, they actually have spaces there that are meant to um, essentially discover new therapies that need FDA-regulated spaces. They're called CGMP spaces or clean good manufacturing spaces. And, you know, there's a lot of technical detail that goes into the execution of those spaces. Um, but when I say placemaking, we're not just delivering the facility and creating these common spaces. We've actually partnered with a gentleman who does a lot of work in the Twin Cities market downtown in Minneapolis, um, Musicant Group. And we know that researchers, you know, they're not just going to go out of their way to try to meet each other. So we actually have programs and things in place in partnership with the Musicant Group to help spur those connections. Because really, the, the whole thesis behind Discovery Square, it's very similar to what you've seen in like Kendall Square or stuff that's in you know San Diego or even Research Triangle Park is that a lot of these therapies come out of 
even having a conversation. One of the things that we've talked about as a theory behind this is like when the discovery of the DNA happened, when it was when Watson Crick were actually at a bar, they had a pint of beer. And when they were walking back, they had the conversation about what the double helix looked like. I mean, it's that, that's it's that whole concept of that. Again, we, we can't let, let chance allow those connections to happen. We actually have to create spaces as well as programs to help support that. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about that? What are, what, what does it mean to create these spaces and to create these programs? What do they look like? So for the first building and the second, we have a few phases that we're doing in Rochester. First thing we're, we're, we're thinking of them as a campus. So each of those buildings relate to each other in some way. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be elements in one of the buildings that won't be in another. So to force people to actually go to the different buildings. Um, but also, you know, spe- specifically thinking about the first building we had way more common space than a typical 90,000 square feet foot building. If you walk in, it's all open. There's a huge atrium that goes through the space. And then you have a coffee shop on the first level. Um, part of the thoughts were this is going to be a space that TED Talks can happen. Um, but this is also a space that we can host events. And then through that, through the success of the first building, one thing that we learned is that we actually needed more larger traditional amenity space. And so that's what you're going to find in the second building. There's going to be a large conference room. Um, again, a space that can allow those connections to actually happen. I think also um, there was a lot of intentionality on who the tenants were. So we didn't just cast a wide net for the tenants in the first building. There was We were very prescriptive on who the tenants were. Part of it was tied to the research and the tenants that Mayo actually had in the building. But a lot of it was also um, around companies that were excited about creating those connections and collaborations to help create that foundation for what the feeling and atmosphere was going to be like to be in Discovery Square. How much of this was inspired through because Rochester to me is so interesting with uh, a lot of public private partnerships, right? Did this come from the top, like the public, you know, whatever the city is saying this is what we want or did this come through brainstorming with with the private sector so this is uh definitely before my time but i think a lot of the ascension inception of this happened before 2015 by mayo clinic um, a lot of it was seeing where they wanted to take their organization but also seeing what was successful around the country mm-hmm. and mayo quickly realized which i mean is so relevant right now when you think about the importance of like the labor force and the job market, what elements are actually needed to attract the talent that they want that. I mean, that's the crux of it. It was how we get, are we going to attract this talent? We couldn't just do these RD facilities without having people like a lattice doing their multifamily project or Opus as well. that did a multifamily project close by. So you really needed that element. And then there's a ton of investment that's happening in the infrastructure. Um, so when Mayo and other key stakeholders painted this picture to the state, they also committed to a certain amount of investment within the state of Rochester as well. So it's it's kind of all those elements that came together, but also realizing the importance of what needed to happen within place and the investment that needed to happen to support a location that would be exciting to talent to be in. Um, and that's that's why I think it's been the way it has and, and why it's going to be successful. Yeah. Do you think this kind of intense collaborative nature in Rochester is unique or or are there things like this that happen in other parts of the country? There are things like this that happen in, uh, in other parts of the country. I think there's actually even deeper collaboration in some cases. I think we, when we think about something in the Midwest that might be somewhat similar to what's happening in Rochester, we think about Cortex. And I think what's unique about that is you had five university systems and the city that came together. It's not just all in Mayo Clinic or the city of Rochester. Um, so 
in my mind, that is the only way these things will be successful. So we do have a partnership with Destination Medical Center and their economic development agency. The city of Rochester is a huge partner of ours. Mayo is a huge partner of ours. Medical Alley is a critical partner of ours as well as DEED. So it's there are many different key stakeholders that are making this successful because, again, it's it's not just about those buildings. It's we're, we're creating something that will hopefully create a vibrant atmosphere for um, for the talent, but most importantly, we're creating an atmosphere that allows for people to create new therapies that impact patients' lives. I mean, that's that's why I get excited about the work that we're doing. It's, yes, it's the building, but you know, they're developing therapies in there that are going to be life changing for everybody in this world. Right. Right. Um, speaking about that collaborative nature, I've heard people complain about how Dinky Town is changing and how they they wish there was maybe some more collaboration from the university. I don't know if you've been in that area much lately or looked at that lately, but um, do you think there's anything Minneapolis could be learning from Rochester? Well, I know there's actually a huge initiative right now with university for their East Gateway District. It's yeah, going to have definitely. a lot of key elements as well, similar to Discovery Square, but a diff, maybe a different model, um, especially when you think about the scale of what's happening or the investment that the state's making in Rochester. It's going to be very different in the East Gateway, but I think the university is thinking about it. They're trying to figure out those ways of collaboration. But that's, I mean, that's very similar to what a lot of other university systems are trying to do or are already doing across the country. And again, it's about the talent and it's about retention. So it's think about if you're a professor at a university and you have an idea that you want to test. Um, do you have a space to do that? Hopefully you do. And if you do, and if you start that technology or therapy or whatever it is, you want to be able to grow that company. So you, you obviously need unique space to be able to do that. Um, so we have to have something set up to support that researcher, that professor. On the other side, you know, as these partnerships are being created with the professors, or if there's a commercial company um, that wants to have a relationship with the university, the benefit for the student is that they maybe get to intern right at that commercial company during school. They're getting hands-on experience for that actual job. And then they have a pipeline for a job right when they get done with school. And then that individual stays in Minnesota. I mean, that's that's why a lot of these universities are doing it. It's how do you attract the talent and then how do you retain them within the state that that, that is happening? Yeah, it, it sounds like kind of the opposite of the historical like suburb model instead of houses over here and jobs over here. Bring it all together. Yeah. Create something vibrant, right? Yeah, they call it the cluster effect. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's the whole idea that, you know, again, has happened in, in other locations. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, fortunately, there's a lot of unique things that Specifically, the university has the proximity to downtown as well as St. Paul, the infrastructure that's already in place with the light rail. And then if you couple that with the zoning that's just changed with the 2040 plan, there's a lot of elements and ingredients that are there to help support it. Um, but it's also going to take a lot of investment, not only from like the private investment community, but it's also going to take a lot of investment by the university to make it successful. Definitely. Kind of switching gears, uh, in a finance and commerce interview a while back, you said something um, that you want it to be a conduit in bringing more diversity into the business. How do you think that something like this happens? Well, I'd say a lot of things has changed since I probably made that comment. Sure. Uh, yeah. I think the murder of George Floyd has put a lot of things in perspective for businesses in the community. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, it's actually easier for, to, for me to be that conduit. You know, I've been a part of LISC 
who has that developing um, of colors and capacity program that I've served on their panel a few times to select developers to support them not only through a grant program, but to actually create a technical assistance platform for, for those developers, as well as a mentorship for those developers so that their projects are successful. Um, and then I feel like a lot of other developers are, are digging into as well. I'm thinking about either like Sherman Associates partnering with a developer of color that maybe doesn't have the capacity, not only financially, um, but you know, a lot of these projects are requiring lending or financial commitments that some small developers can't do. And so you have these other developers that are stepping up to actually partner. So um, the other thing too, is I think for Mortensen, we're, we're definitely committed to diversity, but even for our team, we're just even more selective on who we're bringing on our team. So it's, you know, not only representative of the community, but it's, you know, people of color. I think the last few hires we've had have been women or, or women of color. So it's, it's something that our organization is really passionate about as well. I think the big thing I'm trying to ring the bell on is that, you know, commercial real estate doing development is a great job. And so I think that's the other piece that has to be conveyed as well. Yeah. Why is it a great job? Um, Cause well, I guess it depends on your, depends on your personality. I, again, I'm a little bit more of an optimist and a little bit of an entrepreneur and like the challenge. And I don't like doing monotonous work and every day is different, but I think for me, it's the opportunity to have that type of impact in a community, but also the, the patience and the collaboration it takes um, to create that impact. And then again, translating it to my work in Rochester, it's, we're not just delivering buildings. We're not just creating these partnerships. We're actually creating these facilities to create new therapies as well for patients. So it's, it's been a fascinating. And I feel like every, every day, every project I work on, I'm learning something new. So yeah. it's been, it's been fun. What do you think is the importance of having developers of color involved in projects? I think it's critical. It's, it's like the whole idea for diversity, equity, inclusion. It's the different perspectives that are going to make the communities better. And I think it's also having people that are representative of the communities that are being built, or if they live in the community, that's really critical as well. And right. I mean, you can't ignore too that people that are developing or owning these facilities in the communities, it's it's a way for legacy wealth that they can pass down to their families, that it's a huge change as well. So I think it's, there's many different aspects of why it's it's important. Yeah, of course. Um, right, Brent, I don't know that I have really any other questions. Was there anything you wanted to add that I didn't ask about? No, I think just really appreciate the opportunity. And, and you know, I always leave people with this. I, I, well, I want to be that conduit for people of color in real estate development. If there's people that have interest in connecting with me, I'm always open to doing it. Um, so just my line's open. Um, feel free to give me a call. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, JD. I appreciate the opportunity again. Of course. Take care. Take care. Bye.